And you've tuned in to another episode of The Wellness Couch, where science meets ancient wisdom, 3ABR 87.6 FM. And we're your host, Katarina and Brett Morrison. Well, it's been an interesting year so far, hasn't it? You'll all agree. Since late February this year, COVID-19 pandemic, or SARS-CoV-19, has been transforming and awakening, affecting many of our lives like never before. Now, amidst all of this, Professor Brighthope realised that there would be a need for individuals to improve their state of health and increase their resistance to this new and novel coronavirus. Professor Brighthope developed a prophylactic protocol based on previous scientific literature and previous experience titles. So we are so honoured to actually welcome Professor Brighthope. Professor, you there? Yes, I'm here, Kat. How are you? Hello, Professor. You there? Yes, I'm here. Yeah, hi, Professor. How are you going? It's Brett here. I'm good. Hello, Brett. How are you? It sounds like Kat's not picking you up on her headset at the moment, but that's all (laughs) good. Well, I've... I'm not on mute, that's for sure. No, absolutely not. But look, while, while Kat's sorting out her headset, just thank you so much for joining us tonight. And I'll just quickly run through some of the things that you have actually achieved in, the, in your, um, I guess, your, your career within the medicinal field as a, as a doctor. So you were the president and founding director of the <coughs> Australasian College of Nutrition and Environmental Medicine. You're also chairman and founding director of the Australian College of Herbal Medicine, founder and past director of the Graduate School of Integrative Medicine, also uh, founder, director, and a consultant to the Nutrition Care Pharmaceuticals. And amongst being a leader in in the field and being obviously a starter amongst your peers, you've also found time to write five books, uh, which is an incredible achievement on its own, let alone with everything else that's been going on. So you've clearly established yourself as a leader in the integrative medicine field. Thank you very much, Brett. That's a very kind, uh, a very kind words. Uh, it's um, been going on for a long time. Uh, I must say, the um, my career is uh, coming to an end. Although this year it uh, has tested t- tested me uh, as well as many other people. Um, so, um, really, everything that I've ever learnt, uh, I've had to distill into uh, some of my. Uh, and approaches to uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, there seems to be a fairly strong message coming through from mainstream media, but what I'm seeing from a lot of the work that you've done, it's all about integrative medicine. It's, it's more of a holistic approach. So I'll, I'll let Kat take over. How's your headset going over there? I'm here. Sorry. Oh, she's, she's back online. How are online, you going, so I'll, How are I'll you, Professor Brighthope? Thank, thank you. <laughs> I'm good, thanks. Kat, how are you? First of all, um, has anyone told you that your name inspires, you know, you're full of hope and shining with light? Bright Hope. <laughs> I absolutely love that name. Now, thank you very much. I mean, uh, people used to make an appointment to come and see me and they'd, they'd come and see me and they'd say, I feel better already because you've got such a bright name. And I'd say, thank you very much. I haven't <laughs> done very much to deserve your praise. <laughs> Actually, you have, and we've been to many of your lectures um, since the 90s, and uh, even I've consulted you when my father had stage 4 adenocarcinoma. And with your knowledge through integrative medicine, um, you know, you develop some really great therapeutic um, strategies. And as you know, stage 4 is not uh, a good prognosis, but um, 14 years later, there's no return or sign of it. So fantastic. Oh, yeah. That's very so, good. Highly grateful. Absolutely. Yeah, he's You're welcome. Out. My pleasure. He's now in his 90s and uh, still fighting the family to run a marathon. Um, <laughs> well, tell him a marathon could be a little stressful. Uh, maybe, uh, well, if he does the marathon, maybe do it uh, at a nice walking pace, brisk walk, and uh, 
he uh, it'll do him a lot of good. Oh, he he loves it. Like he, he did one out of the official sanction of a marathon last year and um, upset quite a few of the family. But um, he's he's a fairly determined old fella and very strong. All right, well, good. Then. Yeah. yeah. Now you've yeah. had an amazing transition from uh, you've done ag- agricultural vet science to being a medical practitioner surgeon. And you've been instrumental in aspiring change to, to integrative medicine. Can you talk briefly about your trajectory and what has led you to where you are today? Uh, yes, thanks, uh, Kat. Uh, I, um, I didn't uh, complete high school. Uh, I went to uh, Agricultural College and, uh, and did a, a diploma in Agricultural Science. And uh, that's, uh, that got my interest in, uh, in uh, foods and feeding and nutrition and soil science. Uh, the growth of crops and pastures and uh, the uh, production of healthy animals and productive animals. And um, to cut a long story short, uh, I finished the uh, ag science uh, and went into um, teaching and research uh, in animal nutrition, um, uh, nutrition in uh, dogs as well as uh, cattle, sheep, uh, pigs and poultry. Um, And uh, that's where I was able to put all my knowledge together with regard to um, uh, uh, the importance of nutrition at every level, from the soil to the psyche, if you like. Um, and one of the projects I did when I was at college was uh, a study of uh, selenium deficiencies in animals. And um, the, uh, the journey started really from there into, uh, into medicine because... Uh, um, selenium-deficient animals get a white muscle disease and they also end up with a, a very large heart called the uh, cardiomegaly. Um, and it was uh, when I was in medicine that I realised that some of the patients with uh, cardiomegaly and heart failure uh, and some of those lined up for uh, transplants um, may have been selenium-deficient. Mm. And so um, I looked at their selenium levels in their hair and blood and, and nails and found that they were either deficient or very low. Uh, and the use of supplements uh, such as selenium and other nutrients important for cardiac and muscle function uh, actually converted them from being in heart failure to uh, to being out of heart failure and um, on reduced amount of orthodox medication. Wow. Um, but uh, it was, I guess, uh, in my fourth year of medical school, or fifth year of medical school, when we were doing clinical work and, and ward rounds that... Um, uh, I asked uh, my prof in medicine uh, about a particular old lady's uh, nutritional status. She'd been operated on for cancer, and she had uh, two drips going, one with salt and water and the other with sugar and water, and she was fed ice cream and jelly for um, for dinner. <laughs> um, I said, this, this lady is wasting away, uh, and what, what is her diet? What is her nutritional status? And he turned around to me and, and, and said, Dr. I hope, we're interested in this patient's cancer. That's what we're treating. Oh, Let's focus on that. Mm. And I said to myself, I don't want to be a doctor like this. Uh, I don't want to practice like this. And um, so that really, uh, I decided there and then that, yes, I'll finish my medical degree. I'll get my Bachelor of Medicine and, and, and Surgery and, and do all that's required to become a registered doctor uh, and do the practice in hospitals and so on. Uh, but I decided that I would uh, do something in healthcare and medicine, but something a little bit different, and um, that's when uh, <clears throat> I uh, uh, I travelled overseas, uh, had a look at other systems of healthcare uh, in in quite a degree of uh, uh, 
focus and um, came back and set up a, a clinic and, uh, and uh, with a couple of other doctors formed the Australasian College of Nutritional and Environmental Medicine. Yeah, lucky us. Uh, so that's, that's how that got started. Fantastic. Now, you currently have a treatment strategy for viruses, the CD Zinc campaign, which would be highly appropriate uh, to help with our current situation, utilising vitamin C, vitamin D, or the hormone vitamin D, and zinc as oral supplements, and higher doses to the extent of utilising intravenous doses for the acutely and severely ill patients. Yes. Yes. Um, It... uh it's a, an interesting um, time for us now because uh, this reminds me of um, uh, the advent of the HIV AIDS virus because at that time I was uh, running my nutritional medicine clinics and giving vitamin injections and high doses of vitamin C for uh, patients with a wide range of disorders from uh, psychiatric disorders to arthritis and diabetes and acute viral infections uh, the vitamin C helps all human beings because we don't make it when we're under stress. Uh, and if we're under, um, under physical and psychiatric stress and chemical stress, uh, we need more than we often get from our diet. And so <clears throat> uh, I had learned and developed uh, some expertise in the treatment of um, many uh, patients with uh, intravenous, high-dose intravenous vitamin C, either in hospital or in the clinic. And sometimes you would see, you know, almost miracles occurring um, uh, from the use of the, the, the high-dose IVC. Uh, for example, um, acute influenza, serious influenza, uh, patients would feel better within an hour of having wow. a high dose. Amazing. Um, and, you know, they come back the next day and say, we want some more, and they'll go back to work on the third day without any sign of flu whatsoever. Um but when you see <clears throat> somebody with a uh, serious uh, that case of shingles, uh, which is uh, chickenpox in adults in, mm. in, on the skin, um, and it, disip- it dries up almost within 12 hours and no more uh, new lesions or blisters start forming and there's no more pain um, and there's nothing else we can use that's effect- as effective as high-dose intravenous vitamin C. That's amazing. So, You've been... Um, okay. You've been instrumental in advocating intravenous vitamin C integratively for quite a while. I mean, it reaches far back as your AIDS research, a book co-written with Fitzgerald. Yes. In fact, one of your books have been endorsed by the father of, father of vitamin C, which is Linus Pauling. Um, yes. That's absolutely fantastic. So can we discuss the different, um, well, the, the antiviral properties or the ability to potentiate white blood cell activity important when it comes to viruses? Sure. I mean, vitamin C has got a multitude of actions. Uh, it uh, is, is so-called antioxidant, but really it's a redox agent, and it, it takes electrons from where they shouldn't be and puts electrons where they should be. That's <laughs> the, the fundamental uh, activity of, of vitamin C. Um, uh, it uh, has been shown to uh, suppress leukemic cells. It's been shown to suppress uh, the growth of uh, melanoma cells. Uh, at the right doses, it uh, inhibits the reproduction of cancer cells. It uh, it stimulates the white blood cells to produce more complement. Uh, it stimulates them to actually produce more uh, of the uh, very important hydrogen peroxide inside mm. the uh, white blood cell after it's engulfed uh, bacteria and viruses. 
so it aids in the killing of the bacteria and viruses as well without uh, harming the cells, which is a which is a very different thing to antibiotics and antiviral agents. So it's it's got a, a very broad spectrum of activity and. Because I had a couple of clinics where we were doing routine intravenous vitamin Cs for acute viral infections, and I might add, one of my friend's daughters was about 19 at the time. Um, she came in with adult chicken pox, and it was it was all over her body. It was mm. down her throat and down her airway, oh. and she was, you know, she she was a hospital case. And within a few hours of having the intravenous vitamin C. Uh, she was able to breathe easier. She was able to swallow. She was able to talk again, and there was and the poxes were drying up. So, it it's to, to observe things like that in medicine is unbelievable. And for uh, the doctors who I've trained uh, who see this sort of thing happening, um, they uh, uh, they, they um, uh, can't believe it, but they take it up themselves and, and start doing it. So when the HIV AIDS virus came, of course, patients would be referred by people who knew about the clinic. And uh, we started treating the uh, the AIDS patients, and these patients with full blown AIDS, some of them with Kaposi's sarcoma, which is one of the specific mm. uh, cancers, uh, others with pneumocystis screenii pneumonia, which is another killer mm. pneumonia that's typ- uh, typically uh, uh, used to infect the um, HIV patients, and they get all sorts of diseases uh, where organisms would cause disease, which mm. they wouldn't in uh, normal healthy individuals, and um, so we. We're giving the uh, HIV AIDS patients high doses of vitamin C plus, uh, you know, the other nutrients that are listed in, in the book that I wrote, and you can find that on, on the internet. It's a, there's a PDF somewhere on the internet um, <clears throat> uh, that gives the, the, the protocols for it. So this was back in 1982, <laughs> 83, 84, 85. Mm-hmm. And um, so we were getting very good results. Uh, the Fairfield Infectious Diseases Hospital would allow their patients to come down, uh, have their intravenous vitamin C, and then be readmitted uh, in, later in the afternoon. Um, and some of these patients were were suffering from uh, pneumocystis pneumonia, mm. um, not just once, but twice, three times. And normally, if they, if you got it again, it would kill you. Mm. And and so they decided to do a study at Fairfield, and um, they paired my patients with their patients all uh, um, anonymously. Um, and uh, coded them, and uh, sure enough, my patients were doing a, a heck of a lot better than than the patients on Orton Fantastic. Dox medicine, which was just AZT at the time. But um, one day I got a call, I'm sorry, we can't go ahead with this study. And I said, oh, why? Uh, well, the hospital has decided not to go ahead with the study. And I said, but why? You know, it's, <laughs> it's a very promising study. I, I'd gone out to the hospital, given the doctors out there, a, a lecture about what I was doing. I said it was all above board. I said, and there's no no risk of any danger because nobody has died on the treatment, and they're all doing very well. Uh, I never got a reason, um, but the, the potential study was shut down. So oh, how sad! It, it was medical politics, um, but uh, continued uh, with the clinics uh, and running the IV vitamin Cs. I mean, there was a <clears throat> there was a complaint to the medical board at the time and they tried to strike me off uh, for um, for uh, promoting my uh, treatment because the, the media had asked for some stories and I actually uh, um, told them what I was doing um, but the medical board failed and we ended up in the Supreme Court of Victoria uh, and um, I won the case 
and Great. they left me alone after that. Great. So, <laughs> That's all helpful. Yeah, it was helpful. Unbelievable. But that, uh, that was a lesson. Um, mm. It wasn't quite a pandemic, but it was a, a very, very serious and ki- killer disease at the time. Mm. Um, definitely. With, we had very little else to treat them with. But with this pan, I mean, with the, with the SARS-1, uh, I experienced the same sort of uh, thing overseas because I was overseas at the time. But now we've got SARS-2 trying to get uh, yeah. the message through to the, um, the authorities here that um, some nutrients would protect the majority, if not all, of the population, especially those at risk, the aged, the overweight, the diabetics, and those with uh, other comorbidities. Um, uh, but uh, I've been unsuccessful in getting any health minister in the country, any senior medical officer or chief medical officer or chief health officer um, to take any notice. And I've sent many, many letters and many, many requests uh, and many suggestions, and I've sent them all of the uh, the scientific and medical literature to sh- support. But uh, what I started off with was a uh, called a COVID CD zinc campaign. Um, so uh, I employed, I still have employed a public relations company to help uh, get the message out there into the community that um, vitamin D alone would protect the majority of people, and certainly the aged people as well. Um, uh, and there's so much evidence now that it's actually um, in the British Medical Journal a few years ago, there was a, a, an article published that was titled The Prevention of Acute Serious Respiratory Infections with Supplemental uh, Vitamin D. Um, and there were 25 studies, there were 11,000 participants in the studies, and the conclusion was that supplemental vitamin D prevents these acute infections, including influenza and COVID virus. So um, there's no doubt that uh, we do have protective mechanisms. Um, I heard the head of the CDC today state that using masks would probably give him uh, better uh, protection than a vaccine. Now, this is coming from the Centres of Disease Control in the United States. Is that Anthony Fauci? No, Um, no. It was another uh, guy by the name of Redford, I think, or... Um, I haven't uh, really studied it in detail, but uh, I heard uh, on one of the um, programs I listened to um, that uh, I can I can look it up for you later and let you know. But if you, if you Google CDC wearing masks um, uh, today, you probably find it. But the Centre of Disease Control is is where the vaccines are bought from the vaccine companies by the government wow. and sold to the to the um, to the public. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, these statements uh, are not without um, substantive evidence uh, coming from somebody in the CDC. Uh, and he said that the vaccines will probably be 50, maybe 70% effective, um, whatever that means, uh, whether they raise substantial levels of antibodies or not, who knows. And how um, long for, yeah. And how long for, exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, look, a large portion of Victoria's death toll can be linked to the aged care sector. There's been numerous scientific studies supporting what you're saying and written written lately demonstrating the effectiveness of vitamin D that helps with our immune systems and, and the virus. Even the US immunologist Anthony Fauci, who's a key member addressing the pandemic in the US from the WHO, has of recent been reported to say he takes vitamin D and C for his immunity. So... If you go back in history, Anthony Fauci's been taking it for a number of years. <laughs> he was taking it. He was 
he's been taking it uh, uh, during the last epidemic. Yeah, I just want to finish on vitamin C, just before we go on sure. to vitamin D. Um, different uh, states of vitamin C, obviously, um, just for, for the audience uh, to acknowledge, I guess there's also liposomal vitamin C. What do you actually use in intravenous? Is it sodium ascorbate? Um, and at what doses would you actually be using compared to yes. you know, daily usage of, of supplementation? Yes, it is uh, sodium ascorbate. Ascorbic acid is uh, is too irritating to the vein. Yeah. Uh, and you end up with an acidosis, which is what you really don't want. Uh, but sodium ascorbate, um, there's only 1.3 grams of sodium and 15 grams of sodium ascorbate. So it's 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 not a very high dose of sodium. And, and the ascorbate acts as a, a mild diuretic. So yeah. it helps to remove, <laughs> uh, <laughs> helps to remove sodium from the body. Uh it's wonderful stuff. Um, uh, you know, for a mild cold, you might use five grams. Uh, for a serious cold, 10 grams. For influenza, 15 to 20 grams. For serious influenza, maybe up to 40, 50, 60 grams. For uh, patients with um, uh, SARS and COVID, uh, you may start with 30 grams, see how they go. Uh, 30 grams, to, wow. yeah. Yeah, you may need to uh, up it to... Uh, um, uh, 70, 80, 90, 100. Uh, it's, a better, it's a matter of monitoring the patient and the patient's uh, course, illness course, uh, to, to determine what, what dose you give. Um, if for a very serious uh, uh, case... Well, I mean, they've been using only 24 grams of uh, mm. intravenous vitamin yeah. D in, uh, in uh, China, in uh, Shanghai uh, Medical Association in Wuhan, um, there were studies over there, and 24 grams were, were getting uh, positive effects, and of course they will. Um, but you may not get the best effects with everybody by just using 24 grams. And obviously um, that's only over a short time period uh, anyway. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, I'm talking about per 24 hours per day. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, I've the highest I've gone is, was was the highest every, anybody's ever gone. Uh, with my HIV AIDS patients, but people have gone beyond it now. I went to about 220 grams, which is 220,000 milligrams. Um, bowel it, tolerance? It, <laughs> uh, no, no, it doesn't, doesn't affect the bowel when you give it intravenously. Okay. Uh, it, uh, it's, um, uh, it's tolerated very, very well, and as long as the patient's hydrated and their kidneys are working well, um, then uh, you can actually uh, give those high doses. Um, <clears throat> if... Um, I'll send you a link and you can send it out to you or put it up on your website Fantastic. if you like yeah, to, to, um, to my uh, Dropbox because there are some cases there that are very interesting. But, uh, it was, um, there was one in particular on uh, 60 Minutes. There were two shows of 60 Minutes on this dairy farmer in um, New Zealand who had swine flu and was on ECMO, which is uh, extracorporeal membrane uh, oxygenation, uh, which is basically life support using a... Um, sort of like a heart-lung transplant type thing. Um, he'd been on it for six weeks. Uh, his lungs had wh- whited out, which means they were full of fluid. Um, his kidneys had failed, and oh. he uh, had hairy cell leukaemia. Uh, and the world experts uh, in intensive care said that there was no chance for this oh. fellow to live. He was an induced coma, uh, and uh, his uh, machine was going to be turned off. Family contacted a colleague of mine over there who contacted me and said, what do we do? And I said, well... The only thing I can think of is high-dose intravenous vitamin C. 
And they gave him 100 grams per 24 hours. 100 grams, and, yeah. Yeah, 100 grams. Um, and... Uh, in uh, in 24 hours, his lungs started to show some dark spots, and um, which just means there was some Clearing, air yeah. getting in there. And uh, in three days, uh, his lungs cleared. He came off the ECMO, and he's still alive now. I think it's that's amazing. Over 10 years. That's absolutely yeah. amazing. So, what a story! And not only that, but his hairy cell leukemia disappeared. Now, I, this is not just my story. It's 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 a, a real living case history, and it's documented. In fact, if you look it up on... Uh, is, YouTube, is that spontaneous remission? Like, does that just disappear over a few days? <clears throat> well, it's if you have a, a listen to the uh, the YouTube, uh, there's, there's, there was two cases and two series of this. Um, he actually uh, survived because his family insisted on continuing the vitamin C. Mm. And that's what I always suggest, say, is if you've started on vitamin C, you've got to keep on it. You don't have to continue 100 grams a day you can come down to maybe five or ten grams a day. But um, uh, the, the the important issue here is that the, the the medicos in charge of the intensive care unit in Auckland, New Zealand, denied that the vitamin C helped him. And the family got so angry about it because they said, well, well why did he survive when you were going to turn his life mm. support yes, off of and let him die? You know? And uh, they, the guy said, well, these things can happen. It could have been the bar- the bus went by. Uh, or because we rolled him over. Well, they said, well, why didn't you roll him over um, and uh, before we gave him the vitamin C to see if the rolling over would work? I mean, but, I mean, this is, this is ludicrous yep. stuff. It you, is, you know, it is. You can, you can see how stupid sometimes people will be, no matter how well-educated and trained they are, to justify a, a position. Um, there was another case in Sydney, uh, a young lady who... Uh, in the same situation as the, the dairy farmer in New, in Auckland, and I uh, pleaded with the family to keep to um, get the doctors to give her the vitamin C, and they did. And she, her lungs were white out as well. Uh, she had some pancreatitis from the drugs oh. that they were giving her in um, intensive care. Pretty painful, yeah. Uh, and she um, yeah she came she came off it. Her lungs cleared, uh, and they said, well, we don't know. Uh, whether we should continue the vitamin C, and they continue, they they convinced the family uh, that she should come off the vitamin C. And I said, no, don't do that. They took her off, and she died. Oh. Uh, and you know, if if you have a look at the uh, gastro uh, gastroenterological uh, medicine yeah. uh, texts, you'll discover that acute pancreatitis can be fixed with high dose intravenous vitamin C. Oh dear. Uh, you know, yeah. No, it's one of those vitamins that we're quite deficient in in our society, isn't it? I mean, because vitamin yeah. C isn't very stable, is it? So, I mean, with with the foods, with vitamin C, I mean, we lose a lot of um, the vitamin C with cooking or transportation of, you know, or, of fruits and vegetables or, or, or through cooking processes or, you know, the way we store it as well. It's not very stable, is it? No, it's not. Um, and uh, it uh, we don't get enough to keep us optimally healthy. Um, sure, if, you, if you're breastfed for a period of time, you're getting all of the uh, redox reagents from your mother uh, that you need, but the, um, uh, the important thing to remember is it, there are some times in life where stresses are so great, such as a, a serious case of measles or a serious case of gastroenteritis, mm, yes. where your whole system 
needs more and can't make it. And um, once you get into a situation like that, you become dependent for optimum health on an external source. And we just don't get enough from our diet. I think humans may have evolved, uh, well, we, we certainly have evolved without the ability to produce vitamin C from yeah, glucose. Yeah. Yeah. So we're so- like the higher apes. Are you and, suggesting? Uh, sorry, are you suggesting prophylactic tr- treatment? So when we're in um, an era like we are at the moment, that we should be taking it daily, regardless yes, whether absolutely. we have um, incidences of flus or colds or viruses hanging around. Absolutely, yeah. Um, uh, there's there's so much evidence that it actually improves the health and functioning of. Every virtually every biochemical system in our body, um, it, it it is a modulating agent. It makes sure that um, nothing in your system, in terms of the uh, the negative effects of electrons buzzing around doing harm, uh, has any chance of succeeding and doing damage to your system. When I'm talking about electrons buzzing around, I'm talking mm. about these things called free radicals, yes. and yeah. reactive oxygen species, yeah. etc. Um, and we produce them constantly uh, through our normal metabolism. What we need to do is dampen them down to some extent, maybe not completely because the uh, radicals themselves help to uh, kill viruses and bacteria and fungi and other uh, other invaders. But um, quite often uh, they become excessive and need to be, uh, need to be uh, addressed and um, delivered to a, a safe sink like... Uh, uh, the two cough rolls, the vitamin E's, and the other uh, the other uh, substances that are, that uh, actually bind up the radicals and, and neutralise them. Fantastic! What a wealth of information you are. Okay, can we move on to uh, vitamin D um, or the hormone better known as vitamin D? Now, this is a vitamin that comes from sunlight and gets dispersed to the deepest depths of our cells, isn't it? Now, it's not only healthy for bones, teeth, and to protect our um, or protect us from hormone cancers, it, it now has been suggested that it's um, a key part player in the treatment of SARS-CoV-19 and even pandemics to come, really. Um, now, even your founding director of NIM, Professor Anvi Sally, said vitamin D could be a cheaper and safe method of safeguarding elderly Australians against COVID until a safe and effective vaccine was found. Um, so are we petitioning for vitamin D, uh, considering that a lot of the deaths in Victoria this year were in aged care. Um, how do we view vitamin D? Well, uh, I mean, it, it's it's nothing new uh, in this field, really. No. Because um, in previous pandemics, uh, in the early part of the uh, 20th century, late 19th century, even before, um, physicians knew that if you put uh, people into the uh, in sunlight, um, that they would have fewer complications, they'd be better, uh, and they would uh, not suffer as much as people kept inside the wards. And uh, so it was routine to put people out into the sun. Now, it wasn't the sun killing the viruses. It was actually the sun producing uh, the, the vitamin D in, when it shines on the skin. Um, the vitamin is, is, is actually produced when, the, when ultraviolet B rays fall on the skin cells and convert cholesterol in the skin cells to um, a, a, a pre-hormone um, which goes to the liver uh, 
and is changed to vitamin D3, goes to the kidneys, is converted into the active form uh, calcitriol. And, and this is the, uh, the pathway that, uh, uh, where we get the, activi- the action of the sun and the energy of the sun into a substance that travels all around the body and goes into every cell in the body virtually and to, into the nucleus of every cell and has a profound effect on the expression of your genes. Um, so there are vitamin D receptors on the nucleus of your cells and, and this is the way the sunlight actually coordinates everything at the genetic level. Yeah. And it's such a powerful, powerful it hormone. Is. Powerful hormone. There's been numerous scientific studies supporting what you're saying and demonstrating the effectiveness of vitamin D, helping our immune system with viruses. Um, now, it's an interesting concept considering the mo- majority of Melbourne and metro area are actually in lockdown. Yes, which is, from, a, from a, an immunological point of view, a very bad thing to do. Firstly, we don't necessarily get the best of food. Uh, we might be eating out of tins and cans, and, mm. and uh, that's, that's not ideal. We're not getting enough exercise, and we need exercise every day. Not too much, uh, certainly not marathons. Um, but, you know, a half-hour brisk walk is enough to help boost up your immunity. Uh, and also, out walking, if you expose your arms and your face and upper chest um, between the hours of uh, 10 o'clock in the morning at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, um, you're going to be producing your, your vitamin D. It may or may not be enough to protect you against COVID, but if it's not enough, you will get COVID, and COVID will be either a very mild cold or an asymptomatic infection. Mm. So what we're doing by locking people up or keeping the elderly, especially the elderly, yes. because... The elderly, if they, if they don't get sunlight, they don't get supplemental vitamin D, are either insufficiently nourished with respect to D or deficient in, in vitamin D. And this is why they get sick. And this is why they end up in hospital. This is why they end up in intensive care. This is why they go on to ventilators. And this is why they die. And there's any number of studies now to show that deficiencies of vitamin D increase your risk of COVID, increase your risk of admission to hospital, increase your risk of going into intensive care and increasing your risk of dying. So sitting behind like a glass door, glass window isn't going to have the same effect either because glass will cut out that UVB, yep. is it? And so that yep. will stop the, yep. or the vitamin yep. D from yep. kicking in. So people may have a yep. false sense of security saying, look, I'm sitting in the sun anyway, so I'm, mm. I'm good. Yep. But in actual fact, they're not. Yep. The other thing is well, that Australia is known as a sunny country too. So are we able to receive enough natural D3 from sunlight? And does the equatorial position where we're placed at the moment place a significant um, difference to uptake of vitamin D? Sure, Kat. I mean, uh, the further away from the equator you are, the less sunlight. Although Hobart gets more sunlight than Sydney. Um, oh, because it's amazing. Clouds. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, I mean, Melbourne is uh, pretty, pretty dim during the winter. And, uh, you know, our, our vitamin D levels now uh, are pretty well rock bottom at the nadir uh, and you know from spring mid-spring onwards our vitamin d levels will go up because we're outdoors more often and we're getting more exposure to sunlight but i'll give you some examples of some very smart countries um, starting with egypt near the equator uh, they have given uh, supplemental vitamin d to their healthcare workers 
there are other countries in uh, Central Europe where the uh, an Asia Minor where the government has given vitamin C and D and zinc to every person in the country. Fantastic. In the far north of the Northern Hemisphere, yeah. where you've got Iceland, yeah. Norway, uh, um, uh, not Sweden so much, but Norway and uh, Denmark, they actually fortify the food with vitamin D and actually recommend supplementation. So they most fortify their foods, yeah. Okay, because yes. it's one of those yes. nations that like um, the oily, uh, the oily fish and the um, uh, cod liver oil. Yes, yes. Well, cod liver oil. We all got cod liver oil. <laughs> <don't we? laughs> yeah, most definitely. We're disgusting. <laughs> cod liver oil is great stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not it's not just got the D; it's got the A as well. Yeah. So, yeah. It does. Yeah. So, it's, what about the usage of sunscreens impeding uptake um, during summertime? Then. Yes. Sunscreens uh, are bad news. I mean, uh, it's better to just try and avoid the sun as much as possible um, uh, or, or go out of the sun when it's not so strong. Um, the important thing about sunlight is we, you know, when the full-spectrum light falls on the retina, uh, it actually helps our brain to function better as well and uh, relieve us of um, mood changes, um, especially uh, depression and uh, um, Seasonal Affective Disorder, which is a form of depression. Yeah, uh, yes, of course. It's been shown recently that vitamin D, sorry, that uh, um, full-spectrum light falling on the skin just doesn't activate the cholesterol to form vitamin D, but it activates another uh, molecule called nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide, yeah. which, <laughs> which is derived from vitamin B3. Mm. And so this molecule is involved in nearly, well, every uh energy cycle in the body so we need sunlight we need to get out of our caves we do in our caves we are still locked up in caves uh and the light inside whether it be fluorescent or led it is not full spectrum light you're not getting benefit from it no no and um and not to forget the uh neurotransmitters that it produces you know um such as serotonin and melatonin to make us feel good and sleep well at night yeah. as well. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Um, what about dark skin versus light skin with with the uptake of vitamin D yes. from sunlight? Um, it's, it's interesting that the, uh, the, the greatest incidence of um, COVID occurs in, uh, in, in blacks and uh, black people and brown people and Asians. Um, they just cannot, or dark-skinned Asians, they just cannot manufacture um, uh, the vitamin D from the cholesterol in the skin, as well as uh, as well as the uh, the white skin people. So, uh, and, and these are the uh, people who are most affected in countries like the UK, for example. Um, more more dark people are at risk of COVID, and they're the highest incidences in the, yeah. in, the in the darker uh, darker skin people. Um, unfortunately. Uh, that's just a, a fact of nature, and it can't be changed. Interestingly, um, the UK, oh, three months into this pandemic, uh, realised that uh, there was enough scientific evidence to uh, um, publish articles recommending that the population consider taking vitamin D um, supplements. Recommend, consider, not recommend, but they <laughs> yeah. consider. Uh, I think the recommendation should have been much stronger than that. 
Um, and they're recommending doses of 400 units to 1,000 units, which is nowhere near enough wow. uh, of vitamin D3 to bring up your blood levels to uh, a protective level. Um, you need a lot more than, than uh, 1,000 units. Some people need 10,000 units. Some people need 20,000 units for a short period of time to bring their levels up to a satisfactory um, protective degree that will uh, reduce significantly their risk of getting COVID, whether it be um, coronavirus, COVID, or non-COVID uh, coronaviruses, wow. and also flus, yeah. flus and colds. So surely um, at that dosage, though, they'd have to be under a practitioner because it is a hormone. It is, it is a hormone, um, but at those doses, if, you, if you're on 10,000 to 20,000 units, um, it's wise to see a practitioner to start with. Mm. It's also wise to only take it for a, a couple of weeks at that level and then drop it back to, um, I mean, the, the highest levels that are being recommended by authorities now are around uh, 4,000 units mm. a day. And yes. that's where I started at the beginning of the COVID campaign. It was CD zinc, 4,000, 4,000 and 40. So it was 4,000 units of uh, D, 4,000 milligrams of C, and 40 milligrams of D. And it's, it, it was an, it's an easy um, formula to remember, but individuality is a crucial factor in all of this. And uh, that's why uh, sometimes, or probably all the time, uh, the public should be consulting a trained practitioner. Yeah, and, and certainly, I mean, if you look at the stats, one in five are deficient in Australia. So, um, and I don't think they pay for your serum test anymore, Medicare, do they? No, Kat, they don't. Unfortunately, uh, a few years ago, the government, in its wisdom, stopped uh, paying the rebates for uh, the testing of vitamin D because at the time, uh, the medical profession uh, took a, started taking a great interest in vitamin D, uh, not from the perspective of its effect on the immune system, but from the point of view of its effect on preventing osteoporosis um, and possibly also their thinking around the prevention of um, vitamin D preventable cancers, the, uh, in particular prostate cancer and breast cancer. So what about... Mm. So it wasn't a very wise thing no. to do, um, but they, they tend not to... We tend in Australia, like in most Western civilizations, uh, uh, prefer to uh, work very hard towards getting a disease um, and the medical profession working very, very hard to uh, treat disease mm. and become experts in treating disease. Uh, we spend less than 2%. In fact, at one stage, it was less than 1% of the budget oh, on prevention. And wow. um, that's crazy. It's not a healthcare system. It's not a system whereby we're making people optimally healthy. Um, and I, mean, I, I brought this up at uh, a, a speech I gave to the National Press Club in 2002, that um, uh, it's, it's like um, uh, wearing a seatbelt but driving like crazy. Um, our, our approach to prevention yeah. is, okay, here's your seatbelt, get in the car and drive like a madman. Well, that's, that's just not good enough. Um, the the um, United Nations, the World Health Organization, yes. came to Australia in, in uh, 1986 and nothing's changed since. And they said... You guys have got a Medicare system whereby you pay for health care, you're really paying for disease care, and you do less, you actually spend less on prevention than, than uh, most other countries around the world in, 
in this, that are equivalent to Australia in, in terms of their, their so-called healthcare systems. And uh, it, it's true. I mean, uh, why not try to prevent these conditions? Well, there's a massive industry uh, and a huge number of people employed in, in the medical care system. Uh, and it needs support. So it's a vicious cycle. It's a vicious and, uh, and dangerous way to go about looking after the, uh, the population and, and individuals. Um, we are very quickly heading towards, and COVID is accelerating it, mm. an unsustainable healthcare system. And this is what my speech was about in 2002. Um, and nothing has been done since. There are government representatives at the press club. They knew what we were talking about. They knew what we wanted to do. They knew that nutrition and nutritional sciences are the building blocks to positive good health and preventing oh, most disease. Most definitely. Yeah. And, and, and unfortunately, uh, what's really astounded my peers and self um, at the inception of the outbreak were the amount of immune-boosting research papers, videos and information that became censored. And to date... There's really been no real dissemination of material that advises on how to improve our health, let alone in a pandemic, which is quite disappointing. It is very disappointing, Kat. Um, uh, I've got a local member of parliament who's told me all my letters are getting to the the task force um, in Canberra, but nobody, nobody has responded and come back to me, even the the health minister, who I know personally. they, uh, it's okay. We're going to be going to be masks, hygiene, social distancing, and vaccine. That's all we can think of, and that's not good enough. Uh, it's not good enough for this pandemic, and it's not good enough for the next pandemic because this is just a dress rehearsal mm. for the big one. And that's the scary. big one will be a big one, and that's not just me saying that. I mean. The virologists around the world are saying that because we've never seen viruses um, mutate or change and become as virulent. Yes, they're not as... In- I mean, some of these... This COVID is not as infectious as uh, the common cold and flus in the past, but its virulence in some individuals, some susceptible individuals, mm. is very, very high. I want to talk about susceptibility um, just at the end, but let's just get to your last um, criteria, like zinc, as part of your protocol. So the trace element that in Australian soils are highly deficient. Um, And Australia is also a country with a high intake of carbohydrates, which puts us further at risk of zinc deficiency. So what about zinc as part of your protocol? Well, you're quite right. Uh, The soil is quite often zinc deficient, but our foods are are zinc deficient, uh, and relatively zinc deficient as well because if we uh, consume a lot of sugar, white flour products, alcohol, um, uh, these are contributors to zinc deficiencies. We drink a lot of tea and coffee. They act as diuretics, so we lose more zinc. If we're on diuretic drugs, uh, we lose more zinc. Um, and zinc is required for 300 or more uh, different enzyme systems in the body. So zinc is a very, very important trace element. Um, and, uh, and so is copper, uh, for that matter. They work together in the body, and we don't want too much of one or too much of another. But um, zinc, uh, there are many studies to show that zinc deficiencies can produce disturbances not only in uh, the immune system, 
but in, in mood. And oh, most the, definitely, uh, yeah. Functioning of the central nervous system. Uh, it's very important in the, the production and storage and release of insulin from the pancreas. It's important in liver function and the detoxification enzymes in the liver. It's important for males for the, the health of their prostate um, and the production of uh, sperm and semen. The, the uh, importance of zinc uh, has, is underestimated. Oh, um, most definitely. Yes, too, yeah, I mean, it's just absolutely critical in all of these enzyme systems and uh, metabolic systems in the body. Um, so uh, from the, the point of view of the immune system, uh, zinc helps to stop the, the binding of viruses to, uh, mm. to cells. It helps to get the enzymes working that will actually produce the, uh, the factors that destroy invading bacteria and viruses. Uh, it's important in the um, adequate uh, and, and optimum production of uh, antibodies, uh, IgG, IgM, uh, very, very important short-term and long-term acting antibodies in the system. And uh, it's, uh, it's critical for um, life. Uh, and with, without it, 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 it's one of these uh, things that comes in when we need it uh, most. And so... If you've got your vitamin C, you know, working to um, protect you against free radicals and reactive oxygen species, you've got the zinc that works with an enzyme called superoxide dismutase, uh, which is also dependent to some extent on uh, other uh, trace elements like copper and, uh, and manganese and selenium. So all of these very important trace elements are important in the production of uh, agents that are going to uh, be used by the immune system as tools to destroy the invaders. And uh, it, it's just unbelievable that uh, anybody these days, uh, and don't you worry, one of our most highly esteemed immunologists in this country looked at me in the lecture once and said, uh, um, there's no point sprinkling uh, zinc on your uh, Wheaties in the morning. <laughs> it won't do anything for your immune system. Right. Now, uh, this is this is illustrative of somebody who's done science uh, and specialised spe- uh, in immunology and has never, ever Interesting. seen a patient uh, in this person's life. Well, certainly the scientific uh, evidence is backing what you're saying. We've got uh, the CDD medical director in Vietnam, the Thomas Barodi, reported that... Uh, he had zero deaths in Vietnam from the usage of zinc and doxycycline. Is that how you say it? From the um, anti- yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and, and all the, the supportive evidence that's coming out at the moment from the hospitals um, are totally yeah. in support of what you're saying. Oh yes, I mean uh, <clears throat> zinc is being used uh, with uh, hydroxychloroquine, um, and uh, as you say, uh, doxycycline and uh, ivermectin. But um, the interesting thing about the hydroxychloroquine, uh, hydroxychloroquine actually kills the virus. I believe it does so by transporting zinc um, because doc- uh, hydroxychloroquine is uh, a, a drug that's been around for 50, 60 years, used for um, preventing malaria uh, and in, in, in the use of um, the treatment of uh, rheumatic, uh, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, etc. Is it called Plaquenil? Sorry? Is it called yes. Plaquenil? Yeah, so I've yes. got some lupus patients on it too, so it's immune yes. dilator. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
It, it is a, an ionophore, which means it is a carrier of zinc and takes the zinc into the places where it's needed. So uh, that's why it's combined. The cofactors, um, yeah. Yeah. And even Trump is taking uh, zinc. So if Trump and uh, Anthony Fauci um, in the United States got together, as they do uh, frequently for their speeches, uh, they should exchange notes. And uh, Fauci should tell Trump to take the vitamin C and the D, and Trump should tell Fauci to take the zinc. Yeah, uh, and that's then definitely they, they would have work hand in hand. Yeah, <laughs> the trilogy. It's, so, um, in terms of immunology or the immune system, what's the difference between acquired and innate immunity? Innate is what you're born with, and acquired is what you get. Yeah. Um, so, so the so the breastfeeding and early intake of um, or the relationship of nutrients for immunity is quite important. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, the um, the the, uh, the innate immune system is the one you're inherited with, you inherit, uh, the ability to uh, fight bugs, uh, and it's uh, initiated um, through the vaginal canals, and so that your, um, your nose and your mouth are exposed to the secretions in the vagina, these secretions contain a whole lot of bacteria, and that's where your immune system is first inoculated through the gut. And then, of course, you get, uh, you get exposed to a whole lot of bacteria and viruses once you're born. Um, and the uh, E. coli, the nature of the uh, the bugs in your gut, change very, very quickly after you're born. You're breastfed, hopefully. Uh, you pick up antibodies from your mother. So that's, um, that's a uh, form of defence uh, against uh, various uh, viruses. And, of course, if you're exposed to viruses while you're being breastfed, and hopefully for a couple of years, then um, you may have been exposed to measles, mumps, chickenpox, and a whole range of other viruses and getting your antibodies from your mother. And at the same time, once you're exposed to those uh, viruses, you start producing antibodies yourself and your immune system develops a fantastic memory because you've actually acquired those uh, viruses and bacteria the right way, through the uh, either through the uh, nose or through the mouth, through the uh, respiratory tract or the gastrointestinal tract. And that's where uh, you, it's different. That's where your acquired immunity is different to the so-called acquired immunity from a vaccine because the vaccine stimulates your blood to produce IgG and IgM oh, yeah. antibodies, but it doesn't stimulate the mucous membrane yeah. to produce IgA, which is the point of first contact. And uh, that's, the, that's the most important. I mean, if you don't have any IgA, it's like a fortress that um, leaves the door open to the enemy. Is that basically saying that we should have oral vaccines anyway because of the... Yeah immune system recognition through the mouth rather than going through the blood-brain barrier that doesn't recognise? Yeah, no, I, I agree, Kat. No, um, if it's a gastrointestinal-type virus, then through the mouth. If it's a respiratory yeah. virus, then in, by inhalation. Yeah. And um, uh, that's when you get the IgA. And In fact, there's a, a group working in America on an inhaled vaccine or an oral vaccine, and these are the preferred ones from my perspective because... Um, they're not as dangerous as the uh, vaccines given either a subcutaneous injection by intramuscular injection. Yeah. Um, it, uh, it's, um, but, but that's another story. There's just a few more questions I need to ask you before we, uh, we finish this program. But um, I can understand the hygiene and the washing of hands, masks as even a barrier to, to COVID and social distancing. But what's the purpose of testing asymptomatic patients? Um or individuals not showing symptoms, is that not a sign of self-acquired immunity? It was just recently that the WHO commented that, and I quote, from the data that they have, it was quite rare for 
asymptomatic persons to actually transmit onward to a secondary individual. So patients who didn't show symptoms aren't driving the spread of the virus. That's coming from the EU in America. Yes, uh, if you're asymptomatic and you've, you've been infected, um, there's no evidence that you are a spreader. Um, it, it, it's a fallacy. In fact, if you've got um, uh, adequate levels of vitamin D and you get coronavirus, it's, expelled, it, it's handled very, very quickly from your system. So as soon as you become asymptomatic, you're an asymptomatic but positive, um, you, there's very little chance of you spreading it unless you're actually coughing and sneezing for some other reason. Uh, and that may be a, you've got an allergy or whatever. Um, the uh, I think the uh, we should be really testing uh, the general population to see how many of us are actually um, uh, positive uh, for uh, exposure and have um, acquired immunity. Yeah, and have acquired immunity. Absolutely. Yeah. My yeah. approach to this is a six-week approach. Uh, my colleague in England uh, he says it's a four-week approach, but um, we shut down. Uh, uh, for a very short period of time, make sure everybody's got adequate levels of vitamin C, D and zinc in their system. Then we go out again into the community. And if we're not old and frail, um, we go out and we catch the virus naturally. And um, some of us may, uh, many of us will be asymptomatic. Some of us will develop um, a mild cold or a moderate cold. uh, And some of us may develop a flu-like illness. And that would be a, a minority. But um, if you've got high levels of vitamin D in your system, you will not, you will not end up in intensive care. And I, I say that categorically um, because the most recent study done in Cordoba, Spain, showed that of 76, it was a small study, but it's very relevant, and the, the differences were significant. In a study of 76 seriously ill patients admitted to hospital, they divided them up into two groups, one uh, of 50 patients and the other of 26 patients. The 50 patients were given um, vitamin D, high dose of, uh, of a specific form of vitamin D, and the uh, 26 patients uh, were not given any at all. Um, all the other treatment was the same, and they were. Um, it was a uh, randomised uh, controlled study. Of the 50 people, who were given the vitamin D, only one ended up in intensive care. Wow, that's and came amazing. Out, came out pretty quickly. That's amazing. That was 2%. Of the 26 people who were not given the vitamin D, 13 ended up in intensive care, very that's sick. huge and difference. And two ended up on ventilators. That's a remarkable difference. So yeah. the deficits making an individual susceptible to viruses, like we're talking about the high death rates such as what happened in Italy and New York and even Brazil, are we talking about these nutritional um, deficits that that obviously made them more susceptible? Yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, studies have been done all around the world about vitamin D and its protective effects, even before co- uh, Corona or COVID uh, uh, nineteen came about. Um, and it's it's just another uh, coronavirus with a different level of virulence and. Um, it's, it's got spike proteins like the other coronaviruses. And the evidence is, if you've been exposed to coronaviruses in the past and have an antibody response to a coronavirus, probably explains why so many people get the virus and they're asymptomatic 
or they oh, may have, yep. you know, had a had a bit of fatigue and a, a bit of a sore throat and, and got over it fairly quickly. Um, so, and maybe uh, adequately nourished with respect to vitamin C, D, and zinc. Um, I mean, there are many, many other nutrients involved in the immune system. Don't get me wrong, but these are the critical ones uh, for defence. Almost at definitely, huge yeah. stage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just yeah. one more thing. Um, by the very nature of this virus tagging ACE2 receptor sites, do people taking ACE inhibitors such as blood pressure and statins or cholesterol-reducing um, meds, do they need to be more careful? Um, there is a su- suggestion that that's the case, and uh, I would certainly, if somebody's on an ACE2 inhibitor, that uh, would be paying a, a lot more attention to them, yes. Well, look, unfortunately, that... Hour has gone extremely quickly, um, and our time has come to an end. But so, thank you so so much for that. Um, it's and actually been such an honour to have him. I mean, it has a wealth of knowledge that um, you know it's just unbelievable. You, you can't even put words to it. So we've been so honoured to have you on our show tonight. Thank you so much. And just quickly, Thanks, be- before we wrap up, is it is somewhere that people can uh, find your books, find the information that you were talking about, find books. Find out more information around the, the, the protocols that you're talking about around the C, D, and zinc. So, and I'm assuming that there's better. Like, not all vitamin C is the same. Like I'm sure no. the stuff that you buy in Coles is not the same as what you're talking about. <laughs> that's going to have a nutritional benefit. Um, so, where can people find these products and uh, access this great healthcare? Um, oh, like uh, the books are all out of. Uh out of the off the shelves now. They're, they they haven't written a book for twenty odd years or fifteen years. Um, <laughs> the, Let's get the, it back uh, into publication. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, actually, ten years ago it was there, there was one called uh, um, the uh, Vitamin Cure for Diabetes. Uh, that may still be around. The the uh, the, the AIDS books were on the uh, on various uh, internet sites, including uh, Amazon. Uh, and really early into the piece that they were being sold for 10 or $20. And then uh, I had a look and there was only one left on one of the sites mm. and it was being sold for $1,500 wow. as well. It was a second-hand book. So they were going, they went out very quickly. But as I said before, if you Google um, uh, the AIDS fighters, you'll find that book. And that's, that's the same approach um, to, uh, acute viral infections that I would take now um, with the uh, COVID. The, the thing about the HIV, the AIDS book or the AIDS fighters um, is that uh, vitamin D wasn't well known as an immune-supporting nutrient at the time. My patients were getting plenty of sunlight, but they were not uh, taking supplemental vitamin D, but they were certainly taking a lot of other supplements. Um, so what I would suggest is all the uh, information I've been talking about, many of the papers, I've got up on um, on a, a Dropbox uh, site, and I can provide uh, a link to the links. Yeah, yeah. On your website, fantastic. Um, yeah, but for, uh, for vitamins, I mean, uh, vitamin C and vitamin D and zinc. Uh, most of the brands out there are, are pretty good. Um, I'm not uh, picking on any particular brand because. Uh, They've all got to be manufactured under pharmaceutical standards in this country, and if they've got an Ostel number on the on the bottle, and they have to in Australia, then you can be sure that uh, you know, highly uh, uh, high regulated level GMP and good yeah, quality. Nice. Product. Yeah, nice. That's good to know. Yeah. Yeah. Thank well, you so much.
My pleasure. We've so enjoyed this show. It's such an honour to have you. Thank you so much, Dr. Ian Bright-Hope. Thank you. It's my honour to talk to you and uh, thank you for having me and uh, good night to you and your listeners. Yeah, thank you so much and good night to you. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. Bye. That's the Wellness Couch 3ABR 87.6 FM and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.